Thank you, Paul. Thank you for your prayers. Um, well, you may remember last week Nick was talking about what Jesus says about his father, his, um, about the Holy Spirit um, in the book of John. And I'm very impressed. Nick was doing Holy Spirit last week, and he's been doing Holy Spirit the weekend away. He must be glowing with the Holy Spirit. I heard some good reports. The first thing I heard that the food was amazing at the weekend away. <laughs> Christina told me, and we do know at St. Mark's we have a tradition of when we, when we meet, we eat. And clearly that tradition was being uh, continued in the uh, Oast Houses this weekend. So um, uh, thank you, Nick, for, for all that's happened there. It sounds as though it was amazing, you and the team. I look forward to hearing more about it. But this week we're going to look at what Jesus says about his father, And it just so happens that I was reading John's Gospel over the summer. And I have to say, it's always been my personal favorite. I think we are allowed to have a favorite uh, in the Gospels. I remember Nick actually saying that uh, Mark was his favorite. Well, John's my favorite. Um, And for a number of reasons, not least of which is that I became a Christian through uh, reading the Gospel of John. And I'll tell you a bit more about that later. Um, But when I read it this summer, I was really struck by the many, many references Jesus makes to his father and his relationship with him. John, the gospel writer, puts the theme right at the start of of John's gospel in chapter 1. We read in verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God, the only son, that's Jesus, who is truly God and is closest to the father, has shown us what God is like. And that is a consistent theme throughout the book of John, in Jesus's own words. And uh, I was so uh, enthused by this, I I got a highlighter pen, you know one of those ghastly orange pens, and and highlighted all the references, um, and it completely ruined my my Bible in the book of John, because it was all showing through on the consecutive page. Uh, So I don't recommend it, but it was amazing to do that and see the many times Jesus talks about his father. And we might say that Jesus really, um, you know, um, really wants to make a point of this. And uh, he talks about their unity of will and purpose, he and the Father, that they have a vision that's united. They have a mission that's united, Father and Son. We also see that Jesus' words and actions express and reveal what the Father is like and who he is. So he says what the father would say. He does what the father would do. And Jesus explains this again and again, but somehow nobody seems to get it, not even the disciples. And we'll see that specifically illustrated in the chapter uh, we're going to look at. So the father was made visible in Jesus, but nobody saw him, however much Jesus spoke about him. Now, in the build-up to the bit we're going to look at, all the Jews were gathered for the Passover feast in Jerusalem. It was busy, bustling, noisy. And then at this point, Jesus takes his disciples and slips away into this upper room, uh, and they, they celebrate the Passover supper. And in more than the other Gospels, we're invited to be drawn in to hear the intimate conversation of what Jesus and his disciples talk about And of course, he's going to go to his death. And these are the recording of the final hours Jesus has with his disciples. And it's kind of summed up at the beginning of chapter 13, where he says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 
So shall we take uh, a look at John 14, verses 1 to 24? They're on page 1082 in your Bibles. 1082. Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles. And I'm going to go to verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So how I want to look at this tonight is to think of how the Father is revealed through Jesus' words. And first of all, we're going to look at how the Father is revealed in the family home, the family likeness next, and then the family inheritance. And I've used that word family because we realize that these disciples here were going to be the very first Christian family of believers with their individual families and in the family of God. And we are the family of God, the descendants who have that same inheritance. So first of all, let's look at the family of God in the future home, the family home and the future home. If you look at the beginning of this, you'll see Jesus describes his father's house 
And the only other time he's used that expression is when he refers to the temple in John chapter 2. For the people of Israel, the temple was the place where heaven and earth met. And behind the veil, which was a kind of huge colored curtain, was the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. But for the disciples, the last three years, home had been just moving about and being with Jesus. And now he comforts them with the promise that they will ultimately be safe, taken care of, and their future will be secured with him, with God. So if you look at verses 1 to 4, what does that promised home look like? The father's home is spacious, it's generous, it's prepared, ready and waiting for all of them. Each one of them has a place there. Each one has been thought about. And Jesus, when he leaves, will go and join the Father in preparation and come back for them, and he won't leave them behind. And we, of course, know with the benefit of hindsight that this description has a broad timeline. In fact, it has an eternal timeline. It's an eternal home. And Jesus' final return will happen when heaven and earth will meet in a new way, Not a temple, but a true and living home for all believers. And he says, of course, that he will be the way. Jesus is the access point to the eternal life with the Father. And of course, Thomas and Philip are confused by this, and so would we be, because they haven't yet grasped this concept. Often this first bit is read at funerals, um, and I was very touched by what Liam spoke about tonight with his friend. Um, and in our women's group um, that we, have, we meet every Friday, there's a, there's a lady called Angie whose husband very sadly contracted cancer last year. And although he knew St. Mark's and came to church from time to time, he hadn't really taken that step of embracing Jesus as the way. But the more ill he became, the more receptive he was to prayer. And Angie, his wife, asked him uh, one day, had he made some commitment to God? Had he come to faith in some way? And he said he'd done it on his own quietly without any fuss, which if you know Jeremy, her husband's name, that would be very typical of him. Now, the family were very moved to hear this, and so were we at our women's group because we'd been praying for him. Um, Then Angie rang me one evening to say that he was fading fast and he'd gone into a coma and um, he was probably going to be dying soon. So we phoned round the women's group to pray for him. Uh, and one of our group, Penny, who's a very fervent prayer, texted me that same evening that Angie had rung and said that she'd felt a very strong sense uh, from God and she'd had these words that had dropped into her mind. And they were, Christ the midwife is attending him. And she responded, a midwife at his death. And then again, she heard the words very clearly. Here on earth, it's a death, but Jeremy is about to be born. And then she had this strong sense of the love of God. And it reminded me of John chapter 3, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, the next morning, we heard that Jeremy had died at 9.20 that evening. And when I looked at Penny's text, the time said 9.32, just afterwards, and she had been given those words, which we felt were an enormous comfort to us and certainly to Angie. He was indeed 
going to his father's house. Now here, the disciples need comfort because they're very confused and frightened that they're going to lose Jesus and they're going to be left on their own. But also, if you notice in the passage, we have a second home that's mentioned in relation to the father. And this is a present home, not a future home, but a present home. It says in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. Now, if you think about it, that is the most astonishing promise. That the God of the universe, the God of all creation, all-powerful, holy, majestic, will come and make his home in you and me. Just think about it. And I said a bit earlier that uh, the Gospel of John was very special to me. When I was 14 years old, um, a friend at school encouraged me to go to a a meeting in Cambridge, where my home was, where some students, Cambridge students, had sort of formed a kind of house church. And um, I don't remember much about it, but I do remember going, and I remember praying and then praying for me, being really gentle and, and kind with me. And I remember praying and asking Jesus into my life, and I remember praying and asking for the Holy Spirit, but not much else, and I don't remember anything particular happening. But I do remember this man, Malcolm, young student, giving me a John's Gospel. And he said, take it home with you and, and read it. And I don't know how long afterwards it was, but I remember sitting on my bed, cross-legged, and reading this gospel. And when I came to this point that I've just mentioned here, I felt and sensed that I was encountering him for the first time, this Jesus in these words, in this, in this chapter. And for me, the Father was saying, I will love you, and we will come to you and make our home in you. And that was the moment for me of that connection of being able to see for the first time who Jesus was. And the more we immerse ourselves in the Bible, the more the Father is revealed, and the more we discover what love really looks like. And I have to say, there is absolutely nothing, nothing to compare with the love that I have found in him. And if for you some of this is new and this is all rather strange to you, I suggest you come to these Easter services, the Good Friday service, to see the story uh, develop, the the amazing power of Jesus' death on the cross and then his resurrection on Sunday uh, because it sort of moves on from what you're hearing tonight. Then let's move to the family likeness, the father revealed in the family likeness. Now, um, I've always been interested in, in people, you know, in families, who looks like who, and I'm pathologically early for everything. And uh, I love it when you go to weddings, and you have to be early, and you, you sit and you see, uh, I wonder if that's so-and-so's sister, and you look at the, you know, the families of the bride and the groom, and you notice who looks like whom, and even who sounds like whom. Well, there's no question with Jesus that he shows us what the Father looks like. He says in verse 6, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And in verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. If we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. What does he do? What does he say? How does he relate? Jesus is our window to the father. 
what the Father's like. Jesus is our way to the Father, how to get there. And then in the family likeness, we have this amazing aspect that God is Father to us. Father to us. In the opening pages of the book of Genesis, we read, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And that means a number of things. But I think most importantly, it is that relational imprint in us expressed in love. We are made to be in relationship. Love can only exist and be expressed in relationship. And that imprint is in you and me. And in our superiority over the rest of creation, we are wired to find the source of that creative act in God. And he gives us the ability to think about him, to turn to him, to worship him. Not because he needs that, but because he knows it changes us and brings us closer to him. But it's important to realize that we are not naturally God's children. We are adopted and we have to make that step towards him and connect with him through Jesus. St. Augustine of Hippo, brilliant name, isn't it? Augustine of Hippo, said, You made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I think only when we found God in Jesus do we realize how much we've been looking for him. You know, as a teenager, I wasn't on some intellectual quest to find God in any way at all. But when I found him, I realized how much I needed him. And for me, one of the most powerful pointers of God living in us is the change that happens in people. And I have been a Christian a long time, and I have to say that it's absolutely wonderful to see somebody who has uh, recently found God, and you see the likeness and the change developing in them. There's a lady in our women's group who that's happened to, and she is constantly inspiring because of what she's discovering about God and the impact that's having on her life. It says in 2 Corinthians that we are being transformed into his likeness. And I hope that's an encouragement to all of us, if we've been a Christian a short time or a longer time, that it is happening by his spirit. It is happening. And it's often easier to see it in other people, isn't it, than ourselves. And finally, the family inheritance, the father revealed in the family inheritance. And I just mentioned the Holy Spirit there. And I won't say much because Nick spoke so well about it last week. But the Holy Spirit enables us to see God. It says in verse 17, he lives with you and will be with you. And he's a free gift that God gives. Everyone gets the spirit if we ask for him. Remember I said earlier that the father is visible in Jesus, but nobody sees him. Well, after Jesus went to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit came, things dramatically changed for the disciples. And if you, if you follow the course of Peter, just as an example, who was so confused, he wanted to wa- didn't want Jesus to wash his feet, he denied him and felt so awful that he denied his beloved Jesus. When the Spirit comes, if you, if you look at Peter's uh, preaching, it has an absolute confident knowledge. He sees, he knows He knows who Jesus is and who the Father is. And that's the difference of the Spirit in him. And then the Spirit makes us God's children. It says in Romans, he enables us to cry, Abba, Father, and gives us that connection 
And that's the divine in us, not us, but God living in us through the Spirit. And finally, in that family inheritance, he is our father, our father, your father, my father. To be able to say that is is amazing. And of course, we said it in the Lord's Prayer, and we sometimes rush over that in the Lord's Prayer and forget that through Jesus, we're able to own that and say it so confidently. I don't know whether any of you ever watched that program, Who Do You Think You Are?, It's quite interesting and fun to watch. But you realize that most of us would love to find something exciting in our ancestry. Um, And uh, so often, um, these things happen, uh, what we call on the wrong side of the sheet, that expression, that we find something exciting has happened in our family. And in my family, um, there's a rumor that um, we're related to the Earl of Dudley. Some poor serving maid at some point fell prey to the the advances of the um, Earl of Dudley. And uh, that's in my family inheritance, so I gather. Who'd have thought I might not be here were it not for the Earl of Dudley? I'm sure I'd have found another way if it, was, if it wasn't true. But we remember in looking at Ecclesiastes that um, our, our, our ancestors actually, you know, they die. And we might have photographs, we might have memories, we might have rumors but then they're gone. And we will only be remembered, uh, I don't know how many generations' time, unless we've done something particularly amazing. But God reveals that living and active in Jesus by the power of the Spirit, he is alive to us now. And God wants us to know that. He wants us to know him now as our Father And I think John 14 has this whole thing almost like in a capsule for us. Jesus says, I'm in the Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. And in a way, our inheritance is all these things together. It says in one of the Psalms, the eternal God is our refuge. He's our home, our safe place to be through Jesus And God points to Jesus and says, this is my son, listen to him. And Jesus points to the father and says, this is my father. And the generosity of that love is overwhelming, overwhelming. If you think about it, the father gives us the son. The son sacrificially gives himself. Then they both give us the spirit who himself is what I might call the giving gift, who gives us gifts the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, the whole package, a glorious, glorious inheritance, free for each of us to receive. And there's no inheritance tax. There's no small print get-out clause. God offers the whole lot. But there is one condition to this, which you may have seen is very clear in John 14, God's not going to barge his way in. That's not the way of love. It's up to us to welcome him in. We must stay close to him. We must come to him with the help of the Holy Spirit to look at Jesus' words, Jesus' teaching, and do our best to live it. And I know it's not easy. It's not easy. But how can we refuse such an inheritance? And I was thinking this afternoon, uh, as I was just reflecting on this a bit, 
But sometimes we're very good at looking at our own wrongdoing, and that's not a bad thing uh, to some degree, of course. But sometimes we get stuck with that guilt and shame, and we keep ourselves away from that inheritance of looking at our Father. And you know, we don't have to be clean to get to God. We go to God to get clean. And he longs to do that. And I think to some of us tonight, he's saying, let me love you. Receive my love. Because he created us and he loves what he's made in you. Amen.